Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. continue on, we're reminded that we're not all coming this morning in the same situations. Some of us are worshiping this morning from a place of brokenness, trying to figure things out with money or marriage or kids, whatever it might be. And I want to challenge you this morning, if that's you, you've got a choice to make a sacrifice of praise right now, to sing through whatever it is that's going on. Use worship as a weapon. 
So join with us this morning. Let's sing over each other, knowing that some people in this room are hurting and crying. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now and in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name Yeah. 
in the first service this morning, what an honor and what a privilege it is to just come to this place this morning and to just lift up the name of Jesus through these songs. And Oh, as Cody said earlier, we know that we know that lives are in different situations 
And as Brother Allen said in the first service this morning, he don't know. He doesn't know. We don't know. We don't know what your morning's been like. We don't know what your week's been like. We don't know what you're facing. But we know a God. We know a God who can meet any situation, any need. And he's willing. And he wants to. Just surrender to him this morning. Surrender to him this morning. And as he said in the first service, I'm sure he'll say again today. If you don't know him as your Savior, don't leave this place today. Don't leave this place today hopeless and helpless. Because he's just waiting here with open arms for you to surrender to him. He wants to save you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your life. And we ask this morning, if you're here and you don't know him, that you wouldn't leave this place today until you accept him. We pray for these tithes and offerings now as we're about to partake. Lord, let's pray that, uh, Lord, you just bless them. Multiply them. Use them, Lord. Lord, pray that you be with Brother Allen just a moment as he comes and brings a message to us, Lord, that you've laid upon his heart. Lord, help, help us to have open ears and responsive hearts this morning. And Lord, be open to the Holy Spirit as you draw and you woo in folks' lives this morning. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. We give it all to you. In your precious name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. <clears throat> Woo-hoo! Yes. Hey, it is so, so good to see you this morning. So glad that you're here today. Uh, what a blessing it is to be with you this morning. Uh, I thought, I thought I saw you guys when I came in. I am so excited today because this is the first service. Mike, uh, Hayes Michael, did I get it right? Hayes Michael. What, you were here last week? Oh, man, I, I just, I was the one who wasn't here, right? You already did that? Okay, from now on, you can't do it without me, okay? I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Wow, how exciting. So glad that you're here, and as these guys wrap up, let me just brag on these guys for just a second, okay? Because if you want to head start in your Bibles today, we're going to be at John chapter 3. That's where we're heading today. Very, very, very excited about what we're going to start looking at this morning but let me just take a second to, to, to brag on these guys on, on the platform here for just a second. Uh, I want you to imagine going to New York City. Now, I don't know if you've ever been or not. Haven't y'all been to New York City before? I, I want you to imagine being in Times Square. And there you are, New York City, Times Square. And, and from what I understand, what I see, I, I've never been there. But what I understand and what I see, it's, it's a... It's a pretty bustling place. I mean, it's a busy, chaotic, lots of stuff going on, signs, people everywhere. Is that right? A lot going on in Times Square. I want you to imagine with me, okay? I want you to imagine with me being in Times Square, and then you notice some guy standing off to the side. Maybe he's kind of by himself, and, and this guy, he, he, he's just looking up into the sky, all right? He's just looking up into the sky. People walk by and they're, they're kind of intrigued by him and they're looking at him and, and, and they start thinking to themselves, gee, I wonder what he's, what? And he just keeps staring. He just keeps looking up and people start thinking, gee, I, I wonder what he's, I wonder what he's looking at. And maybe some other people might come up beside of him and even stand beside of him, I want you to imagine and then they start doing what? They start looking up as well. You know, it's been said that the absolute, spot-on, best worship leadership is when people stand before you and they just look at God. That they are just drawn to God. And you see them. And they're worshiping Him. And you start going, gee. I wonder what they're looking at. And then worship congregationally is, is, is when we come alongside those in worship leaders' positions and we start doing this. We start going with them. 
And we go, wow. He really is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. So these guys, week in, week out, I know their hearts. I meet with them in prayer. Their heart is to be spirit-led. It doesn't matter the songs that we sing. The most important thing is that we worship and we're led by the Spirit. I get to see their hearts and pray with them before the service. And I can tell you, week in, week out, their hearts are to look up and to admire the one that we are here to worship. And so guys, just praise the Lord for your leadership and for sitting there and for looking at God and then allowing us to come alongside and to look at Him with you. You know, years ago, I, I realized I was in a worship setting one time that was really, really different. I see Jerry out here today, and I remember years ago, we were on the banks of the Amazon River, and we were worshiping with some folks, and you know, sometimes you're in settings, and it's different than maybe what you're used to. It might not be the same songs, or the same stuff going on, or the same format, and I've had the privilege of traveling around the country, being a lot of different people, being you know, overseas and worship settings. And God showed me one time that it doesn't matter where I am or what they're singing or, or the songs or anything like that, that every time God's being worshipped, I have a choice to make. I can join in and worship Him and be a part of that, or I can step back and not be a part of it. And it's like God said to me, but am I worthy? Am I worthy? All the time. No matter where you are, what it looks like, what it sounds like, am I worthy? And, and then God just said, you know, and, and it's just to me, I was like, yes, Lord, any opportunity I get to worship you, I want to join in and proclaim how worthy you are. Well, listen, today, we are in John chapter 3. Very, very excited about what we're going to be looking at today. We are going to leave... Um, our summer message series, Family Vacay. Uh, I don't know if we'll come back to it or not. I just really don't know. But um, I have felt this week that we need to come back and we need to revisit John three sixteen. Have you ever been somewhere that you've been many times before? But for some reason, this time, you notice something different? Let me say that again. Have you ever been somewhere that you've been many times before? But this time, for some reason, you notice something different. Maybe you went to Grandma's house, and you've been in her house many times before. And there you are in Grandma's kitchen at the dining room table. And you look up and you say, Grandma, when did you put that picture over your stove? And Grandma said, well, sweetheart, it's been there the whole time. And you're like, well, that's funny. I've never noticed it before. It's almost like also looking at water. Been to the lake been to a river or a stream, and you look at the water. But then, you put on polarized sunglasses. And when you look at the water, you see rocks, you see fish. They've been there the whole time. You were looking at the water first, but now, you're looking through the water. And when you look through the water, you start seeing things you've never seen before that have always been there. I believe, for some of us, we will never be excited and enthused about studying the Word until we start learning how to look through the Word to see the heart of God. You can look at it all day long. And, and you'll be like, I don't know about this. I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But when you are able by God's Spirit 
to start seeing through it, then it starts looking back at you. And it starts seeing through you. And then it gets exciting, and it's interesting, and it's engaging. Many times, we've looked at John 3.16. And you can almost preach John 3.16 in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is we could just take John 3.16, and we could probably do a message series just on the one verse. Most everyone knows it, right? Maybe a famous athlete decided one day to put it on the black under his eye. John 3.16, JN 3.16. Maybe you've been to a parade and you saw someone at the parade and they were holding up a sign and the sign said, JN 3.16, John 3.16, right? We all know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever what? Whosoever believes in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And many of us would say, that's probably a pretty simple verse that encapsulates the Gospel. John 3.16. In this sermon series, and we'll start as a, a mini-series, who knows, I thought in the first service, I thought I would get a lot farther than I, what I actually did. So I, I got to pace myself for you guys so we don't get disjointed from one service to the next. But today what we're going to do is we're not just going to look at the one verse. And, and we could, and it'd be great. And we're going to talk about the one verse. But we're going to look through it. And we're going to look at the context and the verses around it. And we're going to ask the question. This is the question that we're asking. What is the gospel? Someone could say, well, you know, gospel means good news. And it does. Good news, good message. It's the good news of God and Jesus. Pretty simple. But when you look through John 3.16 at the verses that are surrounding it, it's like a a diamond. It's like a, a spectrum, and there, there's so many other aspects to it, and, and there's other angles and, and perspectives, and it, it's really rich and so meaningful when you look through it. So that's what we're going to start doing today. If you uh, want to take notes, they're available to you in all your bulletins on the back page. I believe they are, and you can take notes. This is simply entitled Revisiting. John 3, 16, what is the gospel? The context. A man comes to Jesus. This is John 3, 1, and this man, his name is Nicodemus. And if you're looking for a person who, man, just seems to maybe have it all together, and, and they're very religious, and they're devout, and they're faithful, Nicodemus would be that guy. In fact, John, in writing this, he tells us that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And the Pharisees were a, a sect of, of Jewish people who had set themselves apart for the rigorous observance of the law. They were like, hey, this law business... We're going to do it. We're going to commit our lives. We are going to be faithful. We're going to be devout. We are going to be the ones who do this. Nicodemus was a part of that group. And John tells us that he's interested in Jesus. Maybe he'd heard Jesus talking and teaching and Jesus had said something and so... Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he comes to Jesus by night. Maybe he didn't want other people to see him. We don't know for sure. Maybe uh, he didn't want people to be like, hey, I'm associating with Jesus. 
Because if I associate with Jesus, people might think I'm different. And I don't want people to think I'm different. So I won't associate with him. But he intrigues me. I find him interesting. And there's something about him that draws me to him. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi. The word rabbi means teacher. Teacher of the things of God. He says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now at first glance, when you look at this, you go, wait, I, I don't find here Nicodemus coming to Jesus and saying, oh, by the way, Jesus, tell me, how can I see the kingdom of God? He just comes to him and says, I think you're a part of God. And Jesus perceives that he wants to see the things of God. You ask the question, you say, what is the kingdom of God anyway? And probably a simple way to understand the kingdom of God, and it would be like, what would life look like with God having complete control? What would life look like with God having complete control? As He is rightfully sovereign and good and gracious and all-powerful, and all-knowing. What does, what does life look like when God has complete control? When He is seen and perceived in His rightful place. And all things are placed under Him. And, and everything else just reflects back worship and praise and honor to Him. The kingdom of God. You, do, you, do you want to see this? Do you want to see something that maybe other people around you, they're not seeing? Jesus perceives that at the heart of Nicodemus' questioning, he wants in on God. And Jesus tells him how it happens. He says, back to the verse, unless. Unless you are born again, a man cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this is perplexing to Nicodemus. It'd probably be perplexing to you. Nicodemus, an older guy, full-grown man, thinking to himself, this is going to be difficult. And I'm not really for sure how mom's going to take this. Are you with me? <laughs> this, this is going to be difficult. And I'm not really for sure how mom's going to take this. Do you mean... I got to go back there and come out again. I'm a grown man. This is going to be difficult. And, 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 and mom's probably not going to take this too well when I tell her, hey, listen, I want to see the things of God. But in order for me to see the things of God, we got to put this thing in reverse. And mom would say, boy, it was hard enough when you were this big. Now you're this big, it ain't happening. But that's where his mind was. He's like, what? How can, how can this 
6b. So he says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered. And maybe when you were a kid and you were studying the Bible, it might have read, you know, verily, verily, I say to you. Also translated, truly, truly, I say to you. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, so Jesus kind of puts a curve on this. By the way, that clears it all up, right? I mean, now it's simple. <laughs> Jesus just doesn't have a way. He just, he's just not always about just making it simple, right? This is not about going back there. It's about entering the kingdom of God. A life where God is seen for who He is in complete control, and you recognize Him for that, which means your life is ordered under His life and His reign. Some people would also call this redemption or salvation. And it's easy to conclude that Jesus is talking about salvation. And, and, and this is centered around the, the heart of the good news of life in Christ, of what it means to really be saved. The word redemption is a really interesting word. It means to restore or to buy back or to set something back in its proper place with its intended purpose. You see, at the heart of the gospel message is an understanding that man is not basically good. I mean, I could go to a lot of people and say, so do you think people are basically good? And a lot of people would probably say, yeah. Then why do they need to be redeemed? Why does anyone need to be saved? At the heart of the gospel is the understanding that humanity's broken. That, that people apart from God are hopeless and they're lost. And there's something within them that they need. And they need restoration. And they need to be put back on a solid foundation. And that the way that they're going is a way that leads to death and destruction and hopelessness. Surely no one here has ever been there. But then along that way, a message comes of hope in Christ. And then someone says, hey, I'm tired of doing life this way. And something's got to change. And, and I need hope. And, and I need to surrender myself. And, and I, I need help. And so they turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ. And at that moment, He forgives them. He redeems them and sets them back in a relationship with God for which humanity was intended. This is entering into the kingdom of God. And what Jesus says in verse 5 that seems to clear it up, but yet still makes it somewhat confusing. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So now he sets up this comparison contrast of two births. One that is of the flesh and the other one that is of the Spirit. And some people have looked at the words of Christ here 
and they've concluded that when Jesus says, you must be born of water, they think, okay, that means I've got to be baptized. So, so if I'm baptized, I'm, I'm placed under the water, and then I, I come out of the baptismal water, a river, lake, baptistry, whatever, then, then that's me being born of water. And also must be born of the Spirit. So I, so I have to be baptized and born of the Spirit. And that's what it means to be saved. I don't know what your faith tradition is, how, how you were brought up or raised, or what you were taught about baptism, what's called baptismal regeneration, that being born in, in, in baptismal waters is what brings about the transformation and redemption that is needed for salvation. But I think just a very simple look at the words of Christ will clarify this for all of us today. All right, so I almost asked how many of y'all been pregnant, uh, but I was afraid a guy might raise his hand just to be funny. I didn't want that to happen in the service. So, are y'all dead or what? <laughs> you got to understand that my mind, when it's tracking, I try to at least be two steps ahead of my mouth. And when I went two steps, I was like, okay, how many of y'all been pregnant? And I could just see some guy out there going, ah, you know, just to be goofy. You're not sitting next to anybody who would do that, right? Okay. So, if you've been pregnant, don't raise your hand, okay? But if you have, right before your child was born, under natural conditions, something happened to let you know that the baby's coming. Something broke. Right? What breaks? Water. Water breaks. The lady knows. Baby's coming. Even in a cesarean, when the baby's taken literally from the mother's womb, they deliver the baby from the natural fluids of the mother's womb. And the baby is delivered out of or from what? Water. When Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, he's talking very clearly about a natural birth. And a natural physical birth is a birth from or out of water. And to establish this comparison contrast, Nicodemus, he's in the physical world and in the natural world and the world of the flesh, and Jesus says, yeah, that which is born of water. Yes, you must be born of water. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus. That's happened. But the emphasis is not here on the natural birth. The emphasis here is on the spiritual birth. A natural birth is a natural birth. It's born of water. But if you really want to see the kingdom of God, it takes a spiritual birth, which is not born of natural means, but of supernatural means, it's the Spirit of God who does this. And I think the question is very, very valid to all of us today. Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit? I can see you've been born of the water. But have you been born of the Spirit? 
And I didn't ask you, when you were six, did you walk an aisle in a church service? And I didn't ask you, when you were eight or nine, did you say a certain prayer? And I didn't ask you, when you were 12 or 13, sorry, I've had a bit of cold this week, I I think I'm about 13, the way my voice just cracked. Let's go an octave lower, like I know what an octave is. But anyway, I didn't ask you. Here we go, bringing it down. I didn't ask you. When you were 13, did you go through a confirmation class? And I didn't ask you. When you were 10 at vacation Bible school and all your buddies went forward, And then got baptized. The question is, have you been born of the Spirit? This is such an important part of what salvation really is. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it's so important to Paul's theology that he tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is given to the believer as a very, very special gift that comes with a promise. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes, he says, this is verses 13 and 14, in Him... You also after what? You Watch this. You also after what? I highlight it to make it easy for you. You also after what? Listening to the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. It's on you to listen. Paul would also say, faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. It's on you to listen. But it's not just enough to listen. And I hope you're listening right now. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also what? So it's not just enough to listen. It's also on you to what? To believe. And you can listen all day. But until you believe. There's no transformation. There's no redemption. Having also believed, you were what? You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in the first part of this, you listening, you believing, that's on you. You're the subject. But now you're the direct object. Now something happens to you. And now you receive the action. And the action that you receive is God gives to you His Holy Spirit. And He seals you. And He marks you with His Spirit. Back in the ancient world, if somebody sent a letter, they would close the envelope. And they would take a special seal, maybe in hot wax, and they'd imprint it on the back of the envelope to notify possession and where it was going and who it was coming from. And think about this. In this context, the Gentiles had never been marked. The Jews had been marked with circumcision as the people of God. So here's what God does. God says, I'm going to make you a part of my people and my family. I'm going to bring you in in Christ and I'm going to mark you. You're now going, you're not going to live the rest of your life unmarked. You are marked. You're sealed. With the Holy Spirit to signify ownership. That you're His. Which begs the question. Have you been sealed with the Holy Spirit? A couple of weeks ago I was at youth leadership camp. 
And I just taught on this the night before. I had two different students to come to me. One girl from Georgia, Abby from Georgia, about 14 years old. Another guy came to me. Can't remember exactly where he was from. His first time at camp, he was 12 or 13. He came to me with tears running down his face after my opening session on Ephesians. And he said, I am really, really struggling. I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm really saved or not. And the other girl came to me with the exact same issue. I really don't know. And so the next night, to open up the session, I, I did an impromptu discussion with the students. Didn't plan it. And I just said to them, I just said to them, now that you know that having the Holy Spirit is the mark of God on your life. And by the way, the next part of this says that you're marked with a promise. And God's the one who makes the promise. You're marked with a promise. God's the one who makes the promise. And the mark of the Holy Spirit comes with a promise that the rest of everything He has for you is going to come. And the promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. And we're talking about God. So it's a promise that comes with assurance that He's going to deliver on the full goods of everything I could ever hope for or want in Christ, in this life, and in the next. That's why in the next part of that verse, He says, in verse 14, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Holy Spirit, given as a pledge, comes with a promise like earnest money. When someone says, this is in good faith, I will deliver on the rest. And it's never taken away. That type of financial or economic, economical deal, once it's given, it's never recanted. It's not taken away. So once you get it, once you got it, once you have it, God's not going to come back at another point in time and say, sorry, I'm going to remove my spirit from your life. And there was nothing you did to earn it to begin with. You just listened and you believed and you said, yes, I do. And then he gives you his spirit. So that night at the next session, I just said, listen, guys, here's something I've been thinking about after last night. How do you know? How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? I mean, if, if this is the mark of salvation, how do you know? Kids started chiming in, sharing different things, different perspectives. But then this one kid in the middle of the room said something that floored me, floored me, floored me, floored me. And as I spoke back to him what I thought I heard him say. So you're telling me that when you have the Spirit of God in your life, there's a transformation of desire. And the student said, absolutely. There's a transformation of desire. There's a transformation of desire. Abby from Georgia, after that session, she said, when that was said, that cleared it all for me. 
I no longer had to struggle with knowing whether I was saved or not because when, it, when I understood it's about a transformation of desire, yes, I'm hungry for God. Yes, I want to know His heart. Yes, I want to be a part of Him and anything that He has to offer. Yes, I, my desire has been transformed. Therefore, there, I, can, I can sense and feel that His marks on my life. Transformation of desire. Did anyone have to make you come today? Did your spouse conjole you and say, I really want you to go to church? And you're like, I, I really don't want to. But if it'll make you happy, I'll go. Does anyone ever have to encourage you to go to a Bible study? Hey, there's a Bible study for students. I think you'll learn something there. I really don't want to go. It's not taught by the teacher I like. I don't really, don't really know those people. I really don't want to go. And your parents go, why don't you go? Oh, I just don't want to. Do you find people around you, pleading with you, begging you, To have a desire for the things of God. And when you do come to church, as soon as you leave, you shut it off and you turn it off and you, and you realize you're not even like Nicodemus. You won't even go to him at night. If you hunger and thirst for the things of God, and things are offered and presented to you and you find yourself drawn to those things because you want to grow and you want to learn. And it doesn't matter if Brother Allen's preaching or teaching. And it doesn't matter who's leading worship. It doesn't matter who's teaching Sunday school. It doesn't matter if it's on Wednesday. It doesn't matter if you had ball practice that morning or not. Your passion is for the things of God. transformation of desire is a sign that you're his so I'd encourage you if the desire is not there ask God to save you. Well, maybe I'm already saved. Don't matter. Ask him again. Well, isn't that bad theology? It's better that you be clear in your faith and that you believe on the Son of God. It's better that you do that now and today and in this moment than to continue in question. And then life hits you. And life happens. And you're flirting. You are flirting with eternal consequences when you put your own soul and spirit at risk. We long to see a generation and students who are passionate for God. The other day I had a, oh, it's going to break my heart to tell you this. I have to. Young man I was talking to attends one of our school districts in high school, upperclassmen, very, very well liked young man. Has a lot going on for him. He and I were having a conversation. And I said to him, I said, I sure hope that one day you find a girl who is level-headed, whose emotions are not a train wreck, and who loves Jesus. And he said, at my school, I haven't met her yet. Are you kidding? 
He said, at my school, I haven't met her yet. I said, all you can do is be the girl, or be the guy, rather. This is not about any transgender issues. So all you can do then is be the guy that a girl would want to have. I cannot wait to get to the next part of this with you next week. As we look through John 3.16, it's going to explode. What we're going to see next week is amazing. I just don't talk fast enough to get to it today. But if you would stand with me, please. I told the Lord that from now on, I'm going to do the best of my ability at the end of a service to give time for a response. I'm going to invite our prayer counselors to slip out. They're going to be here in the front. They're available to pray with you, to pray for you. we got plenty of time. We're early. We're early. If if you're struggling, if you're dealing with any matter of your life, especially, especially the state of your soul, then today, settle it. Repentance is a good thing. To say, Lord, I have just been blowing it. I have been denying the natural passions of my heart to know you, to walk with you. And Lord, I, I repent of that. I, I acknowledge that to you. But today, I thank you I'm forgiven. And, and I'm going to walk out of here today, and it's going to be different. And I'm going to surround myself with people who will fuel the passion in my life. No one's going to have to beg me, conjole me, or do anything anymore, God. Because I'm going to pursue you. If that's your heart. Where you stand, you can commit your life. If you want somebody to pray with you, I know there are situations, a lot of brokenness today. Cody's going to sing. You come. We have places here for you to pray, to kneel, people to pray with you. Grant's here, Lana, Michelle, Cheyenne, Alyssa, several people, whatever you need. Make today a new day in your life. Bow with us and let's worship as we begin to go. If you need to come, you come. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.